0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 104, verses 1 through 15. Bless the Lord, O my soul, or Lord, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters and makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messenger's winds. "'His ministers a flaming fire. "'He set the earth on its foundations "'so that it should never be moved. "'He covered it with the deep as with a garment. "'The waters stood above the mountains. "'At your rebuke they fled. "'At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. "'The mountains rose, the valleys sank down "'to the place that you appointed for them. "'You set a boundary that they may not pass "'so that they might not again cover the earth. "'You make springs gush forth in the valleys.' They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart.
1: I asked for the first part of Psalm 104 to be read because it describes with such vividness the kind generosity of God. I don't know if you heard, he says he cares for wild donkeys and birds, how he gives mankind Oil and wine and bread for our strength and our health. And the psalm lists so many things that I think we take for granted. But as the psalmist looks around at the world, he recognizes the goodness and the kindness of God. The psalm praises God that even in this broken world, there are good things to enjoy, and God gives them generously to people all over the world, even if people do not know him or love him. Things that you and I might enjoy every day, like like I, I have a daily cup of coffee in the morning. Or I know people that look out their back window and they see deer grazing with all their beauty and timid nature and, and, and their gracefulness. Those things are testimonies to God's kindness and love. And the kindness and love of God is the foundation for the sermon that I I am preaching right now. I, I want each of us to be thinking about how good and kind our Heavenly Father is. Jesus says that you and I are to be like our Heavenly Father, loving even people who hate us. And my prayer for this sermon is that it would show the radical love of God the Father and that in doing that, it would inspire you and me to obedience to the commands of Jesus. Not out of the fear of God, but out of the inspiration of the love of God. You might be here this morning, and maybe in your heart you're not convinced that God is love. You might know that He is. You might know that the Bible says He is, that Christians say that He is. But you might not be convinced that God loves you. And if that's you this morning, what I want to do is hold up some things that the Scripture says very clearly, that God does love you. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would just open your heart and open your eyes so that you would find peace in experiencing the love of God today. The more you experience the love of God, the more you will find the commands of Jesus a joy to obey. They're not a burden, they're a joy. But if you don't know how God loves you, you will feel like they're a burden So today, we're going to be looking at what Jesus tells us about loving other people. And I I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, grab a Bible. There are several around the room here. Turn with me to the book of Luke. It's probably three-quarters of the way through the Bible. It's a big book, so it's pretty easy to find. comes after Matthew and Mark. If you go past it, you find John. So if you get to John, go back a little bit. But the book of Luke is where we'll be, and we're going to be in chapter 6 today beginning in verses 27, and we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see the command of Jesus. Then, we're going to see the comparison between those who follow Jesus and obey this command and the natural way that all of us want to behave and the natural way that everyone behaves apart from Christ. And then we're going to see that behavior contrasted with our Heavenly Father. And so let's first notice the the command of Jesus. Look with me at verse 27. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, Offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. As we think about those clear commands of Christ, let me ask you this morning, how do you respond when people hate you? Jesus has said earlier, if you remember last week's message, that if you faithfully follow Him, people will hate you. It's not a question of if someone does. It's just a question of when it will happen. And He's saying to His followers, to people who have already come to Him and experienced the forgiveness of sins that He offers, you must love the people who hate you. And if you and I as followers of Christ, are going to obey Jesus, we need to take this command seriously. He says, love your enemies. And you and I might reply, I don't have any enemies. I think that's actually probably the most natural way for most of us to take this. As Americans, we don't like to think that anyone dislikes us, right? But if we claim that we have no enemies we make this command of Jesus basically irrelevant because what we will do is we may fail to show the radical love that Jesus commanded his followers to exhibit by letting our hearts grow cold and indifferent towards all kinds of people and we'll feel like that's okay because we wouldn't call them enemies. They may not persecute us in a violent way, and so we'll just be indifferent towards them. And if that's how we function as a church, when we have conflict, when we have disagreements, when we have people that rub us the wrong way, we are negating the command of God by saying that we just don't have this problem, so it's not really relevant. So it is absolutely critical that we understand who our enemies are so that we can love them like Jesus commands. And i almost joking, I told first service, so get out a pen and a paper. I want you to write a list of names of people who hate you, okay? This is a bad idea, right? Just don't lose the list, right? Don't put it down somewhere. That's not what I want you to do. What I want you to do, many people rightly say, you know, no one wants to physically murder me. So this doesn't seem like it really applies to our lives, but there are two ways that it really does. First, Jesus is giving you the ultimate extreme. He's saying, you love your enemies, and if he wants you to love your enemies, he's not giving you a pass for everyone else. It's not as if you can just be indifferent towards the people that are irritating and skip past them to love the people who want to kill you. You love... Everyone in the spectrum. So if you can't identify enemies, that's fine. Just love everyone, even the people who irritate you, regardless of what you want to call them. But the second way that this applies, and I actually think it can be very direct, the reality is we're not honest about the fact that everyone in here does have enemies. Maybe you can't name them, but in just a minute, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to think of some names and don't write them down. We like to think that that we are the kind of people that are so wonderful that everyone around us loves us. Or if if someone has a problem with us, you know, it's certainly not our fault. It's It's probably just them. They're just weird. They don't get it. That is ridiculous for at least three reasons. Number one, we are not half as great as we think we are. Sometimes we make enemies because of our own irritating personalities because of our sin. And sometimes we are so blind to that that we don't even recognize it when it happens. Parent, that's part of why we're in the body of Christ. You know, you're supposed to pull me aside and say, hey, you were a real jerk, and I didn't even know it. So, So sometimes this happens, and we're blind to it because we don't recognize the conflict that's really there. So we do have enemies. Second, if you stand for anything... Leave your faith out of it for just a moment. If you stand for anything, there are some people who are so ornery that they will oppose you no matter what you're standing for. And to be honest, it is amazing how churches can fight over the smallest, most ridiculous things. And we don't even think about it. But those conflicts when people oppose you, even over things that are not obviously religious, you are experiencing enmity with people who want to contradict what you think is right and good to do. Third, and I've already said this, Jesus said if we follow him faithfully, people will oppose us. And this is especially what Jesus is talking about. He is addressing His followers. He is addressing people that want to learn from His teaching, that want to follow His lifestyle and be like Him. And so He is telling them at the beginning of His ministry that if you try to act like Him, if you say the things that He said, some people will hate you. And here's why. I think it's helpful to think about this for just a moment. Jesus came condemning all sin and loving every sinner. And so if you are like Jesus, people will hate you for loving the sort of sinners they despise. And they will hate you if you condemn the kinds of sin that they love. Let me say that again. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus, people will hate you for loving the sort of sinners they despise. And they will hate you if you condemn the kinds of sin they love. Those people are your enemies. Not because you hate them but because they are opposed to who you are and what you are doing. And let me give you just one example. We sang a great song that that pulled so many lines from the Apostles' Creed, and then Janine read it while while Chris was playing, It it was beautiful. There's a line in the Apostles' Creed that is absolutely scandalous in our world today. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. There is no sin so great that God cannot forgive it. And I want to talk a little bit today about a man named John Newton, who who I've mentioned in the past. Many of you know his name. All of you know the hymn that he wrote, Amazing Grace. Right? It is the most popular hymn probably ever written outside of the things that are in the Bible. Many of you know Newton was a slave trader, When he was a young man, his life was so vile when he, when he writes that God saved a wretch like him, he is not just being poetic. He had lifelong sorrow and guilt and regret over the way he lived his life. And today there is no way he could serve as a pastor anywhere. Because his sins are so universally recognized as utterly vile, no one would allow him to serve in ministry. And I'm not diminishing what he did. It really was vile. He recognized that. But I am saying, we believe in the forgiveness of sins, that no matter who you are and what you've done, God can forgive you. And if you welcome a sinner that even the world wants to condemn, the world will hate you for embracing someone who's done something so terrible. We do not actually love the idea that all sins are forgivable. There are sins that we hate and we do not want to forgive. And so if you practice the radical forgiveness that Jesus is telling us is available through God, some people will hate you. And... If you condemn sins that people love, people will also hate you. Now, here's the thing. I think probably most people in here are are right away jumping to the sins that our culture particularly loves, that the church is very famous for condemning. And and you're right. Christians that that take a stand against gay marriage or or any of those things, those are the hot-button flashpoint issues in our culture. And, And Christians do take some persecution when they publicly make statements about what God calls us to in personal holiness. But here's the thing. In here, most of us agree on that already. So if I stay, you know, you can take some heat for condemning homosexual practice and behavior, that doesn't bother anyone here. But if I talk to you about sins of gossip and gluttony, if I talk to you about sins that you commit, about not faithfully serving in the way God has gifted you, about loving your property over and above the salvation you have in Christ, if I call out your sins, you may hate me just a little because I have condemned the things that you love. Jesus says this will happen in the church, this happens anytime time you follow Christ. Jesus says when you face that kind of opposition, He would say you are facing hatred and you are facing an enemy, no matter what you want to call it. And Jesus tells you that you need to love your enemies and pray for them. And he actually, he gives you broad commands that show you how to love so that you can put your love in action with your hands and your feet. He says, do good. What could be more broad than that? Do good to your enemies. Acts of service. So, so any kind of good. You might change a tire. You might send a note in the mail. You might make a phone call. You might give someone a hug. Do good to your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Wish them well. If you hear someone has said something about you in the context of the church, it it can hurt deeply. And what Jesus wants you to do in that moment is to say something good about the person who has wrongfully gossiped about you. Bless those who curse you. You love them not only with your actions, with your hands, you love them with your mouth. He says, pray for those who abuse you. And he's not talking about, dear God, judge this person harshly. He's not, he's not telling you, call for lightning for this awful sinner over here. He's saying, ask that God would extend mercy to this person who has hurt you. Pray that they would know the love of God. Pray that God would bless them. Do not react in anger, even to insulting violence. You know, I've heard some stories about some, some difficult situations here in the church, whether it was at Fuel or sometimes Forgotten Harvest gets a little crazy. Sometimes when there's conflict, it, it, it's easy to talk about how so-and-so said such-and-such, and, and then you say, but I stepped up, and they, they were so afraid, they, they immediately just backed down. It's easy in those moments to rely on your own strength and in your own flesh. Jesus says, if someone smacks you in the face you turn and let them smack you on the other side of your face. That's what a Christian does. A Christian does not shove someone into the wall after being smacked in the face. A Christian shows the same mercy that we have received from God and is willing to be insulted and even to endure violence. He says, give even the clothes off your back. He says, do not demand the return of stolen property. Your earthly possessions are nothing compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we have to gain in heaven. If you are obsessed over the things that you have on earth, you are not bearing witness to the things God has promised you in heaven. And he says, as you wish others would do to you, you do that to them. He commands in the most radical of terms that you love your enemies. And let me remind you that Jesus not only preached this, he practiced it. Jesus did good to those who hated them. He he bore the burden of his cross on the back all the way down that ancient Roman road to Golgotha. He was beaten, he was smacked in the face and whipped with cords, and he did not retaliate. And while people were cursing him as he hung on the cross, from his agony on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what it means to be like Christ. This is the kind of love he calls us to, not just for our family and friends and those within the church, but for our enemies. And this kind of radical sacrificial love contrasts sharply with the natural kind of love that all humans have, that all of us feel just because of how God has made us. So notice how Jesus, he gives this command and then he compares it with the kind of behavior that comes natural to each of us that that non-believers also have. So read with me verses 32 to 34. Jesus says... Jesus is saying the kind of love that He calls us to is more radical and very different from the way that you and I are naturally generous to our family members and friends. The way that we take care of one another within the bonds of natural friendship and within the bonds of family, that's not Christian love. There is nothing special about it. Mormons, Muslims, and atheists all do the exact same thing. Jesus is making it clear. He's actually talking about giving in such a way that we really are willing to lose our worldly possessions because we expect better blessings from our Heavenly Father. Very often when when we read things like, give to everyone who begs from you, our minds immediately go to, you know, he's probably a user and he's going to spend it on drugs or alcohol and I'm not loving if I give him. So we negate the command of God. Jesus says, give to everyone who begs from you. And now maybe you can give in such a way that you love the person and want to help them break their addiction. And so maybe you try to do this in a way that changes them forever. But maybe you just give them five bucks and say, God will hold them accountable for how he uses it in the moment. I'm just going to say, I'm giving this to you in the name of Jesus, and I love you, man. Maybe that's what you need to do. That contrasts with the kind of worldly love that says, I'm going to give to people that I think can probably pay me back. Jesus says this is totally different than what he's talking about. He says, you may lose what you loan out. The blessings that come from our Heavenly Father, that they, they may come in this life. There are some preachers who will guarantee that God will give you money if you give money, and He might. There are people that can give testimonies that God has done that for them. They've seen His provision in unexpected and surprising ways. And yet, here's the thing. There are preachers who manipulate people falsely and greedily collect their money, and God is not manipulated because you gave Him so and such. He is not automatically going to bless you materially because of something you've done. Jesus is not saying, you can go ahead and give in order to get. That's not what He's saying at all. God might bless you materially. He might not. You cannot force God to do anything. Jesus is causing you, calling you to a kind of radical generosity that may not pay out, until you see Him face to face. God is wise and kind, and He will give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And He will be generous, and He will bless you. He is faithful. But Jesus is clearly saying that you might lose in the here and now. You might lose your shirt. You might lose your money. But you will gain enormously in the hereafter. He says that clearly when he contrasts this kind of natural behavior where most of us just want to loan to people who will be able to pay us back and protect our own investments. He contrasts that natural kind of love with the love of our Heavenly Father. So look with me at verses 35 and 36. Jesus said, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus says that your Father is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You know, the book of James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All of them. And most People don't acknowledge that. You know, I said earlier in this message, I I mentioned being thankful for, for a good cup of coffee in the morning. Probably 360 days out of the year, I don't say thank you for my coffee. I just don't think about it. But the reality is, God blesses me with it every day anyway. He is not discouraged or less generous because of my ingratitude. He continues to pour out grace upon grace. And notice, Jesus says to you and to me that when you love sacrificially, your reward will be great. Christianity is not a religion where you lose all your stuff. Christianity is the path to the greatest happiness in the universe. It's found when you know the kindness and love of your Heavenly Father, and when you begin to be like Him. Jesus says when we, as His followers, imitate His behavior, we are true sons and daughters of God, and the joys and delights in God's house will never end. So how do we apply this? We've seen the command to love, we've seen the natural way most of us love, and we've seen how all of this is based in the love of our Heavenly Father. How do we put this in practice? Well, I want to return to the idea of thinking about who our enemies are so that we understand how we are called to love them in the context of our church, and in the context of the world. And and I want to say just a word about why there is conflict sometimes within the church and how to handle it with different kinds of people, how to put this command into practice. So first of all, if we're thinking about enemies in the church and if we're thinking about the conflicts that we do have, part of the problem is that not everyone in the church loves Jesus, All of us say that we do. I don't think there's anybody here who would deny that. But Jesus says very clearly that the church is always mixed. There will always be non-believers as part of the fellowship, and most of them will say that they're Christians and that they love Jesus. So here's what causes conflict. Some people urgently want to see the gospel proclaimed, sinners repent, people mature in Christ and grow in knowledge. And as they follow Christ, those who are on fire for Jesus will always find enemies with people who love casual fellowship and dead tradition. And when I say dead tradition, I'm not talking about you know, old practices from Catholicism or or some sort of ritual, I'm talking about the kinds of traditions that pile up in a church like First Baptist Church of Holly. You know, we have to do this ministry in this way because this is how we've done it for 25 years. That kind of dead tradition. It happens. People argue over it. It's ridiculous. It makes God angry. And it makes Him sad. Not all of us love Jesus as we should. And so if you are in conflict with someone, number one, check your heart. Make sure that the thing you're standing for is faithfully following Christ, is really putting the gospel forward first. And it sounds like a terrible thing to say that someone here might not love Jesus. But that's what Jesus says is possible. That's what Jesus says causes conflict here. So number one, check your own heart. Don't just assume somebody else is failing to love Jesus. See if you really do. And then if you, to the best of your knowledge, asking God to reveal your own sin, asking God for humility, if you believe that you are the one who is being faithful, then you need to stand firm. Jesus doesn't say that you avoid conflict. He expects you to be faithful to the ministry that He's called you to. So stand firm, continue to obey the Lord, And if you are opposing someone who is passionate about the gospel, about seeing people come to new life in Christ, and if you are opposing someone who is passionate about believers maturing in the faith, you need to be warned that you may actually be opposing Jesus. And all of us need to anticipate seeing Him face to face one day. Every ministry in our church needs to be conducted with the knowledge that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and Christ will finally settle all of our ridiculous squabbles. And it would be far better if we settled them here first. Sometimes when two people love the Lord, they find themselves opposed to each other, because they disagree how to serve him. So the first category is one person doesn't love Jesus, and that's what causes the conflict. The second category is both people love Jesus, but they're disagreeing about how to serve him. And we don't have time to to turn there, but I would ask if you keep notes, look at Acts 15 a little bit later, Acts chapter 15. And what you see at the end of that chapter is two people who really love the Lord disagree so sharply that they go separate ways and cannot work together. Paul and Barnabas. Paul, the apostle, who, who faithfully preaches the gospel all over the world, plants churches, he, he is, aside from Jesus Christ, maybe the most influential person in history. And Barnabas, his name is Son of Encouragement, and he's the kind of guy that faithfully stands by people that no one else wants to stand by. And they disagree so sharply that they separate and cannot serve together. What do you do in the context of our church when that happens? When both people love the Lord? Well, so one of the best ways that you can love people comes right from our text. Jesus says, pray for them. I mentioned John Newton earlier. He's a man that knew the depths of his sin and the magnificent depth of God's grace. Newton had a number of enemies who argued with him and mocked him. Not actually because of his past, but because he was passionate about a real relationship with God. And there were churches very close by to his church that said his faith was too simple. And they made fun of him openly and mocked him. But he was known as being an incredibly kind man. In fact, he, he would visit sick people that were part of the church where the pastor made fun of him. And he faithfully loved not only those people who weren't even part of his church, he also loved that pastor so much so that the pastor who mocked him and made fun of him became a believer in Christ. And they became good and they became close friends. And here's what Newton said, when you have an enemy who is within the church, he said, writing a letter to a man who asked for help. He said, As to your opponent, I wish that before you set pen to paper against him, and during the whole time you are preparing your answer, that you may commend him by earnest prayer to the Lord's teaching and blessing. This practice will have a direct tendency to conciliate your heart to love and pity him. When I have a disagreement with a believer within the church, my natural tendency is not first to pray. My natural tendency is to find a list of Bible verses that prove that I'm right. I feel like we should all submit to Scripture, and so all I need to do is just show you the Bible, and boom, everything will be fine, right? Newton says, that's dumb. That's not going to help. He says before you try to settle the agreement with Scripture, whether you're writing an email or a letter or a text, or whether you're having a face-to-face conversation, pray for the person you disagree with, pray for your enemy, and ask that God would teach them, and ask that God would bless them. That advice has been invaluable for me. I'll be honest, I I, uh, sometimes am frustrated with people in our church. Don't tell anyone I said that. It happens. And when I remember to pray, not only that God would just change their mind so they agree with me, but instead that God would bless them richly, that they would find health and peace, that they would have a closeness with the Savior. When I pray God's blessing on someone that I'm disagreeing with, it's genuinely true. My heart changes towards that person. I love them more. And you know why that is? It's because God answers prayer. It's maybe the most frequent prayer I've seen answered, as God has helped my heart soften towards people that are really irritating. Paul says that this is true, and I do want to read this. This is from 2 Timothy. Chapter 2, he says that God himself is the only one who can help people realize what the truth is. And he describes how all of us, but especially those who are called to ministry, have to be kind. This is from Second Timothy 2, verse 24. He says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Did you catch that? That last line? Our ability to know the truth depends on God opening our eyes. If I jump into an argument with a fellow believer and just try to prove them right from the Scripture, and I haven't asked God to help us, The odds of my success are zero because it depends on God to help all of us know what's true from the scriptures. So this is why we are passionate about prayer as a church. It's why we gather at 8.15 to pray in the library every Sunday. It's why we gather every Wednesday night to pray. Because God is the only one who can open our eyes and change our hearts. So this is how you address enemies within the church. What about enemies outside the church? You know, all of us watch the news or or read a newspaper or listen to the radio. All of us could tell stories about how Christians have done something and stood for what's true and what's right. And and maybe there were boycotts and maybe their business got shut down and maybe they got sued and it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And, And yes, all of those things happened and those things will probably increase and continue to happen more and more. So what do you do with the people who picket you? What do you do with the people who sue you? Well, the Bible says you love them. You pray for them. Do not be distressed that there are people who oppose the church in America. Do not be upset or fearful that there are people who oppose the church in Holly. Jesus said that's inevitable. If you love Him and if you follow Him... People will hate you. Yes, people will close Christian businesses. Yes, people will lose their jobs unjustly. And perhaps one day people will be thrown in jail all for following Jesus. Instead of looking at all of those things that we lose and suffer, we ought to obey Jesus and love the people who hate us. We ought to look forward to the reward that Jesus promised when we are persecuted and lose our things. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And if you are living in fear, it's because you are not living in the spirit and you need to repent. Here's why what Jesus has commanded is possible. And I've said some hard things, and and I hope that all of us agree that what Jesus calls us to is kind of crazy. It's not easy, but it is possible. And here's how. Jesus is addressing His followers, He is addressing His disciples. These are people who recognize the forgiveness that God offers. And we especially, knowing that Christ has died for our sins and risen from the dead, we especially ought to remember the forgiveness that God extends to us. Jesus says, love your enemies. And Paul says in Ephesians that all of us were enemies with God Almighty. And while we were actively sinning against God, God in His mercy and kindness opened our eyes and made us alive by faith in Jesus Christ. He did that for you while you were at war against Him. If God was so kind to give you life through the blood of Jesus, His own Son, while you were in rebellion against Him, should you and I also not show kindness to our enemies? But if you fail to love your enemies, one day your Father will ask you why you have not shown the same kindness that He showed you when you were His enemy. Jesus is just calling you to be like the Father, He's saying God loved you while you were in your sins, and He helped you understand that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. If God the Father did that for you, you ought to do the same thing for everyone around you. Non-Christian, if you're here and you're new to the faith, you're you're maybe not sure what I'm talking about, and all of this sounds weird. Here's what I mean. When Paul says we are enemies with God, it's because we have disobeyed His commands and broken His laws. He has said that we are to be holy, which means that, that we will not lie. It means we will not steal. It means that we will not commit sexual immorality. And all of us have done those things. And so we are at war with God because of our sin. But God in His mercy loved us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place for our sins and He raised Him from the dead so that we could have life in Christ. Literally, right now, in this moment, God Almighty is being kind to you because you are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ described and explained God will forgive your sins if you call on him, if you repent and believe that Jesus died for you and rose from the dead. God says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And God is extending his kindness to you right now in this moment. So if that's you and you need to be forgiven for your sins and you need to recognize who Jesus is, I want to urge you to do that today before you leave call out to Him and say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus died in my place and I believe that You will forgive my sins. Just like You've forgiven the terrible sins of people like Pastor Phil and John Newton and and all of the believers that love the Lord. There is grace and forgiveness for everyone. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, we praise you because you are kind and you are full of love and you are full of mercy. And Father, I I ask that you would open our eyes. For those who know you, let us remember the way you first loved us and the way you have shown your mercy again and again in our lives. And Lord, I pray that if, if there are people here who don't know you, God, by your Holy Spirit, open their eyes and may they receive the gospel of Jesus and and find the forgiveness of sins and be saved. And I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So I'm going to dismiss you with a verse from 2 Corinthians. And I want to say, as I prepare to dismiss you, if God has done something in your heart today, you might need to talk to someone, you might need to say, I'm sorry for something you might need to talk to God and come to know the Lord Jesus. I want to urge you to spend a few moments in prayer before you leave. And if you've never been baptized before, I want to encourage you to come and talk to me about being baptized to say that you want to follow the Lord Jesus with your entire life. Now as I dismiss you, Paul says in the book of 2 Corinthians, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.